0: So everyone, wherever you're watching this from, whenever you're watching this, I hope you're doing well because this year has been a wild ride. 2020 has been crazy and I can't believe we're at the middle of November already getting so close to the end of the year. But as I've spoken to so many of you and other people in Durban and around, uh, it's just been interesting to hear what people have been through and what people have been thinking and experiencing and processing. And speaking to people it seems like this year for so many has been a time to take stock of their lives and to think through what matters most you know to ask the big questions of life to to think about change you know some people have looked inside and they've realized actually there's some things I'm not happy about small or big things I want to adjust or change I think for some people they realize you know what somehow over the last few years or months or whatever it is I've gotten distracted from what matters most started to focus on other things and my priorities have warped from what they should be and other people on the other hand have been going straight after what they're after they they know their priorities they know what they're living for but they're realizing in 2020 that actually it's not satisfying them it's not meeting their needs it's not giving them what they thought it would as we get into our message this morning i want to ask you what matters most to you what is most important what are you living for and is it working is it giving you what you thought it would I think for myself, for some reason, four years ago, I signed up for LinkedIn. Now, if you don't know LinkedIn, it's this business oriented social network. I think a lot of people use it to kind of build an online network of relationships in the business world to look for jobs and things like that. For me, I'm not sure why I signed up because I've never actually used a CV before. I've had a bunch of jobs over the years, but most of those have come about through relationships and friendships. And as a pastor, I don't think I'm in the kind of industry where I'm going to be applying for jobs and using a CV or anything like that. And if I did, if, if I was looking for a job outside of the church, my CV wouldn't be all that impressive. But when I got on LinkedIn and I was looking for contacts and finding old friends who I hadn't seen in a long while just to see what they'd been up to, I was pretty amazed at some friends of mine. You know, I've got friends dotted around the world from junior primary and preschool and senior primary and high school and all of that. And looking at some of their achievements, I I was amazed at how amazing some of my friends are. Uh, One of my friends who I knew from when I was very young, an old best friend of mine, he'd been the vice president of a venture capital and private equity firm in Manhattan. And one of his achievements on his list was that he had overseen the $5.7 billion acquisition of a business that their company had been involved in. And I looked at this and I thought, wow, you know, this is the guy I used to play Lego with and play Lion King with. And I felt like a little bit insecure and inferior looking at this list of achievements, you know, this highlights reel of things that this guy had done and just all the achievements he had in his life. I think as we do that, as we look at other people's lives, their professional and like personal resumes, sometimes we can compare ourselves and feel a little bit down. Like comparison and envy and coveting are real things that rob us of our joy. And this morning, as we get into the Bible, I want to ask all of you, you know, in light of that, what matters most to you? What, what are you living for? And are you happy? So if you've got a Bible, we're carrying on in the book of Philippians today. We've been in a series. We're in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. It'll come up on the screen with me, but I think it is so great just to follow along with your own Bible, take notes on a phone or a notebook. But let's get into this passage. Philippians 3, verse 1 finally my brothers rejoice in the lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you look out for the dogs look out for the evildoers look out for those who mutilate the flesh really here paul is warning against false teachers and those who would come and would rob them with their unhelpful teachings for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of god and glory in christ jesus and put no confidence in the flesh Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, That's not really something we brag about here in Durban. But for Paul, this was a big deal. This was a ritual he'd gone through. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Philippians 3 is a passage about what matters most and here Paul is warning us against these false gospels or these competing messages of hope and meaning and salvation. The the messages or the ideas that we trust in and believe and build our lives around and he's reminding us and pointing us to the beauty and satisfaction of knowing Jesus. Do you know him this morning? And as I read this and meditated on these words and its meaning, there was a phrase that stood out to me uh, probably more than any of the others. And this is Paul writing to the church that he planted and passed in Philippi that he loves. And he talks about confidence in the flesh. In verse 3, he says, put no confidence in the flesh. And again, Paul is speaking about what we value, about what we trust and what we find confidence in. And if we're unsure of what he means by this, he's about to show us by going through his own life resume and his own personal and spiritual achievements. But before we get to that list, Paul shares this strong boast. He says in verse four, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul says, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've achieved. I don't care what you've done. If you look at me, You know, I am able to stand more confidently before God and man based on my life resume. Paul's the kind of guy who would have absolutely crushed it at LinkedIn. He was an amazing, amazing man. And then he gives us this list. He says, since birth, he has strived to do everything blamelessly according to the Jewish way. On top of that, he was born into the right family. He was part of the right ethnicity and race. It's kind of hard to accept that he says that, but we know what he means in this culture and context. Not only was he an Israelite, but he was a Benjamite, one of the most respected of the tribes of Israel, which means he was in the upper class. He he had respect and privilege and honor. He was part of the right crowd. He went to the right university. He trained under the great rabbi Gamaliel and he learned from him. And he was a Pharisee which meant that he was very, very moral. Their standards of moral life and excellence were much more extreme than anyone else of that day, which means Paul always did the right thing. Add to this that Paul was famous. He was a Jewish celebrity. We read this in Acts 26 verse 4. My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. He was well known in his industry and among his people he was this child prodigy this rabbi rock star so paul's cv and his credentials were pretty incredible and paul is saying to us here listen i had everything going for me but i want to warn you as someone who had everything or still has everything not to put your confidence in that stuff put it in jesus instead that's what paul is saying here put your confidence in jesus not those things Now listen this is durban 2020 this isn't the middle east in 60 ad culture has changed some of the things that we value and prioritize are different but a lot of what paul is saying is the same and some of you watching this today have got great reason to put your confidence in the flesh by durban standards whatever those are you know you come from a good family you grew up in a good neighborhood you went to a good school you've got a good education a good job good income your salary your bank balance are pretty impressive You're attractive, you're healthy, you're fill in the blank, like whatever you think is missing from my list, you've got everything going for you. And Paul would say to you this morning, don't put your confidence in the flesh. Don't put your confidence in any of that stuff, which is obviously quite a long shot for most of us in terms of our thinking and our living and what we prioritize and all of those things. You know, the things Paul is listing here are the things we live for. The, the things we're trying to achieve, the things we're trying to build up in our lives. And say, and Paul is saying to us here, listen, that stuff isn't what it's all about. Don't live for that, which would be quite a mindset shift, an adjustment for all of our lives. So I realize for some of you following along, this is this is a bit of a stretch to go along with Paul. But I want to make something clear here before we carry on with what he's saying. I'm not saying, or Paul is not saying, or Philippians isn't saying, stop putting your confidence in the flesh. Stop putting it in all of those things that I just listed, and instead put your confidence in the Spirit. That's not what's going on here. Paul isn't saying, instead of confidence in the flesh, put your confidence in all the Christian stuff you do. Be more committed at church. Make more disciples. Read your Bible and pray more. Serve the poor more. Tithe more. Fast more. Serve more. Do more. And then... You'll have confidence in the spirit, which is greater still. That's not what's going on here. And that's not what Paul is saying at all. Please hear me. That's not what's going on here. All of those are good spiritual things to do. I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things. In fact, I think for all of us, if we grew in those areas, you know, our faith would strengthen and our experience of Jesus would grow. But that's not Paul's message here. Paul doesn't say stop being confident in fleshy things and instead start being confident in spiritual things. And I know this because Paul, his resume, like, was an overall impressive resume. You know, Paul had reason for confidence in the flesh and in the spirit, if I can phrase it that way. But, but, after he met Jesus, everything changed. After listing all of his achievements in both spiritual and physical, Paul says in verse seven and eight, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And this should encourage you and give you confidence today if you don't have a very impressive life resume. You know, if you don't have much reason to put confidence in the flesh. And maybe you're watching this and you've got reason to have discouragement in the flesh. Your life has been hard. Maybe nothing has gone the way you planned it uh, financially, professionally, romantically, personally, spiritually. Maybe you grew up in a very tough family situation in the wrong area with nothing coming easy to you. Maybe you have no education, you didn't finish school, you don't have qualifications, you don't have work. Maybe whatever the Durban success story is, maybe your life looks the opposite of that. And then when it comes to spiritual things, maybe you're watching this and you feel like a failure too. That's where Paul's words should be an encouragement to us this morning. If we don't put our confidence in the flesh or in spiritual things, then we don't need to be discouraged if our life resumes aren't all that impressive. Instead, Paul, who had everything going from physically, spiritually, says, no, instead put our confidence in Jesus. Philippians 3 verse 8. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What Paul is saying here is that everyone in the world has a resume. Religious people have a resume, Irreligious people have a resume. We we hold up, or we put forward the things that we're really proud of, that we want people to see. We We brag and boast about that so that people identify us with that. And then we hide away the things we don't want people to see, you know, the things we're ashamed of or embarrassed about. We kind of downplay those so that no one knows that, but then we hold up our successes and our achievements. And in this world, that's what we do. We say, look at me, look at who I am, look at what I've done, look at what I've achieved or earned or my successes. And we do this because we seek salvation in that stuff. Now that's a good religious word, which means you know we're looking for identity and approval and applause and power and influence and success all by our own earning and doing and work. And Paul says, that's how I used to think until I met Jesus now i consider all of that stuff rubbish now i only have one thing in my resume and that is jesus who he is and what he's done and paul's idea here is that one day we're going to stand before god at the end of time and god is going to say i, I don't know what he'll say i don't know if he'll actually do this but he'll say why should i let you into my kingdom and paul says my answer will be here's my resume jesus christ Jesus is the reason you should let me in. You know, Jesus lived the perfect life. I have not. He was perfect in every way. I I failed in so many ways. And on top of that, Jesus died the death that I should die. He died in my place for my sins. And he rose to a new life. He gave me his righteousness and he took my sin away from me. And he redefined my life. And Paul says that living for anything else other than Jesus is crazy because of this. Because ultimately everything else is rubbish and Jesus is the treasure we're looking for. Now listen, Paul's language as we go further is quite strong. And by telling you what Philippians 3 verse 8 is saying, I'm not trying to be cool or rude, but the Bible uses some pretty strong, pretty graphic, pretty um, unchurchy images to make a strong point here. See where paul talks about the everything else the confidence in the flesh stuff the confidence in the spirit stuff he uses the word rubbish or the greek word scubalon, which is translated as garbage garbage in our bibles and he's saying seeking salvation and satisfaction and meaning and all of these things in anything else is garbage other translations call it refuse or filth others call it dung. one translation calls it turd And a 17th century translation of the Bible actually goes the whole hog and drops the S-bomb right there in the scripture. Crazy stuff. That's what Paul is comparing this other way of living to. Now, my friend Brian, he's a pastor who's preached at this church before. He told me this story a while ago, and luckily this hasn't happened to us with August yet. But he talks about changing the nappy of his son. And as he was doing that, he was holding this nappy filled with poop, and it flipped over and fell down onto his bare foot. And in disgust at what had happened and what was on his foot and what was going on, he flicked this nappy and it smacked against the wall. And like a water balloon, it just popped and went everywhere. He had poo all over the bathroom. And it's so disgusting. All I can think about is having to clean that up, clean your foot, clean the floor, clean the walls, clean your child, all of that. But Paul is using this word here, this word picture here, to disgust us a bit, to, to shock us. He's being rude, although some comment, sorry, he's not being rude. Although some commentators say that this word scubalon was a bit of a rude word. You know, the, the youths of the ancient world would go along and they'd kind of graffiti walls in the ancient Roman Empire with the word scubalon. You know, these kind of ancient kids running wild in the streets with whatever their version of spray paint was, tagging scubalon on the walls. But here Paul is, he's using the shocking word and the shocking picture because he wants to shock us a bit. He, he wants to shake us out of the vision that we've brought into or the story that our culture tells us about what life is about and he's casting a fresh vision he's telling a different story about the good life and about happiness and about the successful life and he's saying it's not found in wealth it's not found in possessions or sex it's not found in power it's not found in success or popularity or any of that it's not found in having this good life resume paul says that even if you get those things that they won't satisfy the deep longing inside of the human soul And he casts this new vision for us it's it's a new story that we can be a part of where jesus is king and where jesus is everything where he is our treasure and hope and delight but before we can get to the delighting in jesus part, uh, the part that we're about to speak about we need to see that everything living for everything else making it our life making it our salvation is scubalon it's rubbish it's dung it's trash the things that we spend so much of our time living for and thinking about and working to get hold of are like that poop-filled diaper flicked up against the wall splattered everywhere that's what paul's saying here for us this morning the questions we need to ask ourselves in light of this are what am i putting my confidence in what am i really living for and how's that working out for me how's that working out for you in Philippians 3 verse 1 Paul says rejoice in the Lord rejoice in the Lord and Paul's calling us out of rejoicing in these other things and calling us to rejoice in Jesus now for me as a pastor I spend a lot of time thinking about Jesus and reading about Jesus and talking about and preaching about and counseling about Jesus you know my job is to help people find Jesus and follow Jesus and become like Jesus in their lives And even for me, spending so much time thinking about him, it's really easy to get distracted from Jesus and what matters most and get focused on other things, to live for the diaper. And i mean for me being in church world and i know your life will look different it's easy for me to get obsessed with church things you know church metrics or encouragements from people or how a sermon or a sunday meeting or a counseling session or something went and when those things go well then i feel amazing i've put my confidence in that and when they don't i, I feel terrible because my confidence has been thrashed you see when i'm doing this I, i'm not doing what paul tells me to do i'm putting my confidence in the flesh or putting my confidence in the spirit, taking my eyes off of Jesus, and I'm looking to other things to save me and satisfy me and to be God to me, which they just can't. When this happens, Paul's counsel is to put our eyes back on Jesus and to rejoice in the Lord, not just sometimes, but always rejoice in the Lord always when you feel like it and when you don't when things are going well and when things are going badly and Paul says to us listen the reason I'm telling you this is not just because it's good for you to do I'm not just saying this because God is worthy and he deserves our praise and our rejoice oh sorry I just bit my tongue he deserves our praise and our rejoicing I'm saying this because it's good for your soul To rejoice in the Lord, not in other things. To focus on Him, not on other things, is good for your soul. It satisfies you. It fills you up. It gives you what you most need because this is what you were made for. Here in this passage, Paul is reminding us of how his value system is changed by Jesus. And he's calling us to the same thing. In verse 8 again, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, trash, dung, scubalon, in order that I may gain Christ. Paul is teaching us here that Jesus' value and worth is greater than anything else that exists. One commentator taught me that the Greek word therefore surpassing worth is this word hyper echo. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm saying it the wrong way. I don't know Greek. But it... It's a cool word that means the super thing. Paul is saying, I've experienced many things. I've had many things given to me. I've earned many things. I've achieved many things. But I count them all as scuba loan because I have found the super thing. I don't have to search anymore because I've found it. It's Jesus don't know if you've heard of Eric Liddell before. He's got a pretty famous name. Um, in fact, a movie was made about him in 1982 called Chariots of Fire, and it won the Best Picture Oscars, an amazing film. I watched it years ago, but it's very, very good. And it's about these runners training for the Olympics. There's this famous uh, line in the film where Liddell says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Now this movie is about the 1924 Olympics and Liddell won the gold medal in the 400 meter race at the Paris Olympics and also the bronze for the 200 meter. Now he was meant to run the 100 meter, that was his race, that was what he was there for. He was the favorite by a long shot. This was on his LinkedIn profile as his specialty. you know, Eric Liddell, 100 meter runner. But because of his convictions, he refused to run. Now, this race was happening on the Sabbath day and he just felt he couldn't do that. It wouldn't honor God. So he refused to run. Now, whatever you think of that, that was Liddell's conviction and he did what he thought was right. And everyone tried to convince him otherwise. You know, people were coming to him saying, no ways, man. Of course, God would understand. Or, you know, this is a global event in some parts of the world. It's not the Sabbath. They tried to twist his arm in every way they could because they wanted Liddell to run and to win. But he decided not to he, he didn't run the 100 meter he didn't run two other races that day and he missed out on three potential gold medals Now i think that's an amazing thing but it's a big sacrifice so when the 400 meter rolls around liddell isn't even meant to you know like feature in this but he gave it his all he won the race and he set a new world record of 47.6 seconds and this wasn't even his race he just ran the whole thing like a dead sprint and he won now, he was a big deal celebrity in his day because of this, because of a skill like some athletes you can think of. But the 24 Olympics were only part of his story. You see, after his victory in the Olympics in the 400 meter, a lot of people realized that actually at the next Olympics, 1928, Eric Liddell would be at his peak and he could win the 100, 200, 400 and 800 meter races. He could bring home a lot of gold for the boys. He was a real, real prodigy. But liddell decided not to go to the olympics again instead this man who was born in china to missionary parents said i am needed in china and i'm going to run a different race there and there's something i love about that you know he decided to run the race that god had for him rather than the race that other people would choose for him and what i love about this story is almost these two halves of his life you know, this is a man who felt God's pleasure as he ran and he enjoyed it so much. But then he felt God's pleasure on something else. For He felt God's pleasure on him not to run anymore and to go and serve the people of China with the gospel. And he gave up a lot. He gave up fame. He gave up glory. He gave up honor. He gave up wealth and success. And he did it gladly to give up fame for obscurity and go to the middle of nowhere to serve Chinese people with the gospel these people who didn't know Jesus or Eric Liddell now think about how incredible this was he's at the peak of his career he he's going up this, this is his moment to shine he's got a gold medal international fame people are cheering him on people you know men want to be <laughs> women want to be with him men want to be friends with him he's got this opportunity to increase his legacy and become more famous to earn more golds to be richer and people say to him Liddell you're crazy you're going to waste your life how can you not go to these Olympics but Liddell didn't struggle he he said his goodbyes to his family and friends went to the other side of the world and he served in China from 1925 to 1943 where he died in a prisoner of war camp during World War II And when he died in this camp the entire camp was just devastated they were stunned for days because this man had been such an example serving and loving the people there incredibly and a fellow missionary in the camp said his last words were these it's complete surrender it's complete surrender that was about the the life he'd lived for god and i want you to imagine that moment as eric liddell stood before god for the first time having lived a life of complete surrender Now, I don't think God would be disappointed that Liddell didn't have more gold medals around his neck or more trophies in his arms or anything like that. I don't think he would be impressed by the fame or fortune of any man, in fact. But I think God would have smiled because of Liddell's complete surrender in his life. First, as a famous runner at the Olympics on the world stage, earning medals, being famous, achieving much. And then secondly, in the middle of nowhere as an unknown missionary it was complete surrender in both fronts and i love this jesus was everything to eric liddell so to turn down fame and fortune for jesus wasn't a big thing because to him jesus was more valuable and surrendering to his plan do- doing his will was more glorious because he knew everything else was scuba on it was rubbish Now, I think for us in a Christianized nation like South Africa, where 76% of the population still claim to be Christian, you know, we can hear a message like this about Jesus, and we can think a lot of things about him. You know, we can think he's a hero, we can think of him as a teacher, as an example, as a role model, as someone to follow, and he is all of those things. But we might not know him as savior or as treasure. We can know a lot about Jesus, but not actually know him in the way Paul's talking about, or in the way Eric Liddell has shown us such a good example of. I think some of you might be watching this today and you've been in church for a long time or, or you've been in Christian circles for a long time, but you don't actually know Jesus and the surpassing worth that Paul is speaking about here. You know, Jesus is not the super thing to you like he was to Paul and Liddell. And if that's true this morning, I want to invite you to respond to Jesus in a new way. To respond to him, this super thing, and to build your life upon him. We spoke about this a few weeks ago, but at the end of Philippians 1 and verse 21, Paul says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And what I love about this, Paul is a man who's in love with Jesus. He's a worshiper. His life is complete surrender. He is all in. And Paul in these verses in verse 8 and 10 says, he will do anything to gain Christ, to know him and to become like him. Jesus consumes his life and is his goal. Jesus is all that he wants. And as we end this morning, I want to ask you, do you think like Paul as he shows us here in Philippians? Do you truly know Jesus? Is he the super thing for you? Is everything else scuba-longed to you? And I think for us, Harbor City as a church, as we look at this passage, can, can we strive to become the kind of community that doesn't put our confidence in the flesh? We're not just living for a good life CV. We're not just trying to beat other people at their own game. We're living for something greater. Together, could we live for Jesus, seek Jesus, and surrender to Jesus rather than living for the things of the world around us? And could we, like Eric Liddell, choose the race that God has got for us rather than the races that the world around us would choose for our lives? Let's pray. Jesus, we just come before you knowing there's a lot going on in our hearts and minds in 2020. And now, Lord, we just come to you with our impressive or unimpressive life resumes. And we just say, Lord, help us not to put our confidence in the flesh or in other things, but actually to put our confidence in Jesus. I pray that we would see your surpassing worth, that we would see truly, Lord, that other things are scuba on. that we would see them for what they are and see you for who you are. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would become Everything to us in the same way that you were everything to Paul in the same way that you were to Eric Liddell. We want more of you. We want to know you, Jesus. I pray for that today. Pray for those watching this who actually are not Christians or today are making the decision to respond to you and follow you and know the real Jesus. I pray, Lord, that they would know their sins are forgiven, that they would know your love. They would be adopted into your family and they would begin this journey of knowing you and living for you. Help them, Holy Spirit, I pray. Fill them, empower them, lead them, guide them, give them grace and help them to grow to know Jesus more and more and more. Amen.